Well, good morning. My name is Roger Roth, and I'm a deacon at, at this church. And I have the privilege and the honor to share God's message with you this morning. But before we do that, if we could just bow our heads and pray before we share the message. Oh, Heavenly Father, I just ask you to calm my nerves. Lord, I just pray that you give me that peace, that I can share the words that you want me to share, the words that you put upon my heart to share with this body of believers. Lord, I pray that. Lord, I pray for each one of the believers and everyone that's in this room today, Lord. I pray that their hearts are opened and their ears are opened, that they hear the word that you want them to hear. Maybe they need something today. Maybe they're going through some tough times, and maybe there's something that is in this message today that will help them through those tough times. Lord, I pray for that. And Lord, I, as I prepared this message, I just ask blessings upon those who do this every week. Lord, I ask you to bless those that get up front and share your word with us every week. Lord, we thank you for them. In your holy name we pray. Amen. So the passage this morning is Luke chapter 8, verses 26 to 39. And if you want to follow along, it's in page 865 of the Black Pew Bible in front of you. They sailed to the region of Gerasenes, which is across the lake from Galilee. When Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but he lived in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out, and he fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had commanded the evil, evil spirit to come out of the man. Many times he had seized him, and through, though he was chained hand and foot, and kept under guard, he had broken his chains and had been driven by the demon into solitary places. Jesus asked him, what is your name? Legion, he replied, because many demons had gone into him, and they begged him repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. A large herd of pigs were feeding there on the hillside. The demons begged Jesus to let them go into them, and he gave them permission. When the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. When those tending the pigs saw what had happened, they ran off and reported this in the town and the countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out of, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. Then all the people of the region of Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them because they were overcome with fear. So he got into the boat and left. The man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with him, but Jesus sent him away saying, return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. That's one of my most favorite passages in the Bible. I think Luke does a tremendous job of sharing the anguish and the pain that this man is going through. Kind of gives us a picture of what this man looks like. 
But before we dive into the passage, I kind of want to just share something personal about myself. I love Marvel. Uh, Grant's in my Sunday school class, and we kind of geek out every once in a while and talk about Marvel. And that's been a love of mine ever since I was a little kid. My mom, when we used to go to town, and we go shopping, and my brother and I hated going shopping. We despised it. But my mom was pretty smart. She bribed us. And bribery is okay sometimes, especially when you're a kid. And it got us to behave. And the bribery was that if we were behaved and we did good and we didn't cause trouble and we didn't fight, that we would go to the bus station in town. Now, the bus station isn't there anymore. It's the Scottish Thistle now. So if you know Piqua, that used to be the bus station right next to the library. And the Greyhound buses used to come through there. But what they had where they had baseball cards and comic books. What else would a young kid want? So one week we get baseball cards and one week we get comic books. And we loved Marvel. I loved all the Marvel characters. Captain America, Iron Man, the Fantastic Four. And I read them. I loved reading about the superheroes and their powers they had and how they defeated evil. And then when I got older and I had kids of my own, I kind of rubbed that off on my kids, uh, unfortunately, because they would jump into my bedroom on Saturday morning when Saturday still had cartoons. Dad, get up. It's time for Fantastic Four. And that would be at 6.30 in the morning. <laughs> so we'd get up, get old bowl of cereal, and we'd sit down and watch the Fantastic Four, and we'd watch Iron Man cartoons. It was a precious moment for my, when I had my kids. And as an adult now, if, if you don't know of it, maybe you might, might not be a fan of Marvel, but there's so many movies out there. I think there's 30-plus movies of Marvel. Plus, there's miniseries. There's all kinds of stuff of Marvel. And so you can get your fill of Marvel superheroes. But one of my favorites is Captain America. Now, if you don't know the origin story of Captain America, Captain America was a small guy, not very big, very skinny, probably 110 pounds soaking wet, not a muscle on his body. But he had a heart. And it was that heart that he said he'd be a great person to be a specimen for our super soldier serum. Now say that fast three times. So they were going to give him this super soldier serum that will give him great strength. So he agreed to do that. So they gave him the serum, and they put him in this machine. And within minutes, he went from a 110-pound man soaking wet to somebody who had muscles on top of muscles. His biceps were amazing. He had a six-pack ab. I mean, he was built. It was a physical transformation. Today, we're going to talk about a transformation, not from super soldier serum, but a transformation from Jesus Christ. The big idea for the message this morning is the transforming power of Jesus. Nothing is too great for Jesus to overcome. Even our biggest sin is no match for the transforming power of Jesus Christ. We're going to break this passage down into four sections. Verses 26 to 29, there is a spiritual warfare going on, not just then, but also now. Verses 30 to 33, Jesus has power over demons. Verses 34 to 37, those who know Jesus are transformed. And those who don't know Jesus have a fear of God. 
And lastly, we're going to look at verses 38 to 39. Jesus commands us to share what he has done for us. Now, the same story, or I like to say, the same piece of history is also found in Mark 5, 1 through 20, and Matthew 8, 28 to 34. So let's read verses 26 to 29 again. Then they sailed to the country of Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. When Jesus had stepped out on land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time he wore no clothes, and he had not lived in a house but among the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, what have, you do to, what have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many a time it had seized him, it kept him under guard, and bound him in chains and shackles. But he would break the bonds and was driven by the demon into the desert. So a little background on this area. The Gerasenes, which I'm probably mispronouncing, but... In this area, this area was inhabited by Gentiles. And how do we know this? How do we know this is a Gentile-inhabited area? Well, they had a herd of pigs. And you know, Jewish people, pork is unclean, so they couldn't eat pigs. And we see that in Leviticus. God gave the law to Moses, and in Leviticus 11.3, it says, You may eat any animal that has a split hoof completely divided and she's cud. Then in verse 11, 7, it says, and, and the pig, even though it has a split hoof completely divided, does not chew the cud, therefore it is unclean for you. So these pigs were for Gentile, Gentiles to eat. So there's Jewish people, there might be a few there, but this is a Gentile territory. So let's look at the demon-possessed man. Luke tells us a lot about him. So just try to picture this man was without clothes. He was completely naked. This isn't the common attire back in those areas. They wore robes and everything, but this man was completely naked. He probably had scars on his body because it said he was chained and shackled, and he broke his chains. So he probably had scars. He probably had dried blood. He probably had regular blood run, still running down. So he, was, he had a lot of wounds. He probably had uncut hair because he probably didn't go in town to go to the barbers because he was living in this tomb. He had an untrimmed beard, which was probably matted and probably had stuff that he had eaten. It was probably very disgusting. We also know the man was super strong because it said he broke the chains and he broke the shackles. You know, I don't know how big these chains were back then, but even if you take a small dog chain, I can't break that. So he had all these demons and it made him super strong. His home was a tomb, which was a burial ground for the dead. Now, back in those days, it wasn't uncommon for these tombs to have double, double uh, uses. It, it was a home for the dead, but also if he couldn't afford a shelter, many people would live in these tombs as a shelter. Now, the, the road he was at was not traveled much. So the villagers were probably said out of mind, out of thought, out of mind. They can't think about him because he's out of sight, out of mind. That's what I was trying to think, out of sight, out of mind. So... He was away from everybody. Well, in the Bible, Jesus healed many men from demons. You know, I think demons still exist today. We just don't call them demons. I think they exist. They're a tool in Satan's arsenal to attack this world and to add torment to us. 
Again, it might not be as evident as this man in here, but we have him, and we see him in the news every day. The kid who shot the school in Texas and killed all those children in the teachels. You can't tell me he wasn't demon-possessed. He was not in his right mind. Or the young man who shot the people in Wisconsin on the 4th of July at the parade. Again, that man was possessed. He was not in his right mind. Demons want to destroy the likeness of man because we were created in the likeness of God. And if they can destroy that, they feel they're, they're cutting away of God. Now, demons do the following to their victims, and we see this in the man in Luke. First, they call self-destructive behavior in the victim. Mark 5, 5 states this, Night and day, among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out, and cutting himself with stones. What person in their right mind is cutting themselves? He's, he's, he's tormented, so he's cutting himself with stones. He doesn't know what to do, and he's cutting himself. He's inflicting pain on his body. That's self-destructive behavior. And it says he's crying out in anguish. He has all these demons. We don't know how many demons he has, but he has all these demons. There's more than one, because he's called legion. And he's crying out in anguish. He, he has no hope. The second things that demons do, they separate the victim from a normal living in a family circle. This was evident with this man. He was living away from home, away from the town that he lived in, in a burial cave. Mark tells us he does have a family. So he's not living with his family. So these demons have separated from the ones he loves. And he's living in a cave. And then lastly, the victim feels trapped in that condition. You know, we, as we said, we see him calling out in anguish. He has no hope. He doesn't think things are going to get better. But he doesn't know Jesus is coming. There's a battle raging on. God versus Satan. Sometimes in this world today, we feel like Satan's getting the upper hand. But God is in control. And we know as Christians... We know how it's going to end. The demons, when they saw Jesus right away, they knew who he was. In Matthew 8, 29, it says, And behold, they cried out, What have you to do with us, O Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Even the demons know what's going to happen to them. They know what their penalty is going to be. Sometimes spiritual warfare isn't as, as easy to see as the demons in this man or the demons I had shared about the people in this world. Sometimes the spiritual warfare could be just as simple as, you know someone you go want to share the gospel with, or you want to get a ministry started, and all of a sudden these obstacles start getting in your way and prevent you from doing that. That's Satan. That's Satan preventing you to do that. He doesn't want you to succeed. He doesn't want anybody else to understand the gospel and to come to Jesus Christ. He wants to stop that as much as possible. So he's going to put those obstacles in your way because we're in a war. We're in a spiritual warfare. So how do we combat Jesus? Well, we're just going to touch this really quickly because that's a whole message in itself. But we can, we can attack Satan just like Jesus did in the desert. We have to know our scripture. We have to know what the Bible tells us. He was in the desert for 40 days, and when he was at his weakest moment, weak from malnourishment, Satan came out 
And Jesus fought Satan off with Scripture. We need to do the same thing. We need to fight temptation. We need to fight those things. When Satan comes after us, we need to fight him off with Scripture. We need to pray. I don't think I need to say anything more about that. We need to pray for the strength, to give us the strength to combat Satan and his demons. And we need to wear the armor of God. Secondly, Jesus has the power over demons. Verses 30 to 33 says this. Jesus then asked him, what is your name? And he said, Legion. For many demons had entered him. And they begged him not to command them to depart in the abyss. Now a large herd of pigs were feeding there on the hillside. And they begged, to him, begged, to him, begged him to let them enter these. So he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs. And the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. Excuse me, I'm getting a little dry now. The demons knew right away who Jesus was. They knew right away that that was Jesus, the son of the most high God. And they begged him not to put him in the abyss. And we're going to talk about the abyss a little bit later. Now, this is contrary to last week. Paul shared the message last week about the disciples in the storm, boat, and they were afraid because they didn't recognize that God was with him. They didn't recognize who Jesus really was. And here we have the demons this week to know right away who Jesus is. Now the demon's name is Legion, because many demons was, had gone into this man. Now in those days, the Roman legion was made up of 6,000 men. I don't know if this man had 6,000 demons in him or 2,000 demons, but he had a lot of demons. He had enough demons to fill up a herd of 2,000 pigs. So the man was full of demons. These demons were afraid of the abyss. So what is the abyss? Now the abyss is mentioned eight times in the New Testament. And seven of those times are in Revelation. And I'm going to read just Revelation 23. And they threw him into the pit, and the pit is the abyss, and shut it and sealed it over him, so that he might not deceive the nations any longer until a thousand years were ended, and that he must be released for a little while. It's talking about Satan and his demons being thrown in the pit. Now, in the NIV, the pit is the abyss. Now, the abyss is the home of torment for demons. The Greek word means very deep or bottomless pit. And demons are fearful of torment. Are they afraid of the bottomless pit? Their, their greatest fear is not being able to do what they were made to do. And that is to torment us, to drive a divide between us and God. And when they're in the abyss... They can't do that, and that is their torment. And Jesus prevents them to do that. Now, Legion, again, was I said, he was fearful of the presence of God. You know, again, last week the disciples thought they would drown because they didn't realize God was with them. And here Legion was fearful because he knows God is present. Matthew 8, 29 says, the demon's question in this passage was, are you going to torment us before our appointed time? Even the demons knew the outcome in the end, and they knew their judgment and what their penalty would be. And then the demons asked Jesus, let us go ahead and go into the pigs. So we're going to stop here. I'm just going to share a quick story about pigs. 
My kids raised pigs for two years and took them to the, uh, for 10 years and took them to the Shelby County Fair. I bet there's two things you didn't know about pigs. Pigs love jelly beans. Pigs also love pancakes. So how do we know that? Well, my kids, we used to walk them a mile every night, back and forth down the lane, and we had to beat them with sticks to get them to walk in the right direction. Well, someone told us to feed them jelly beans. So we put jelly beans in our hand, let them eat the jelly beans out of our hand. All you had to do was put your hand down like this, and the pigs would follow you anywhere. And then we found out pigs like pancakes. And the reason we found out here, we always had some pigs that would be too light, and it had to be a certain weight to be able to be sold at the fair. And, you know, pigs would only eat so much of their feed, and someone says, well, what you need to do is feed them pancakes. I was like, okay, we'll try it once. And one time we had a lightweight pig, and Sharon spends all day Friday frying up, we had like four sacks of pancakes. It worked. We took the pigs to the fair, and we fed them pancakes like an hour before they were going to get weighed in. They made weight, and they ate every one of those pancakes. So that just was a little side note, probably two facts you didn't know about pigs. So let's get back to God's message. Jesus consented, and he let them enter the herd of pigs, which they then jumped in the lake and were drowned, possibly a symbolism for the abyss. Last week, Jesus showed he had power over nature because he calmed the storm. This week, he showed he had power over the supernatural. Bottom line, Jesus has power over everything. In Luke 10, 17, this is when Jesus appointed 72 people to go out and the towns that he was going to go to, to go out ahead of him and go into these towns. And they came back, and this is what they told Jesus. 72 went out, and they came back, and they said, even the demons submit to us under your name. Even the name of Jesus Christ made the demons to submit. Not just Jesus, but his name. And then in Luke 20, 11, 24 to 26, Jesus is talking about uh, a Jewish exorcist. And this is what he had said. When the unclean spirit had gone out of a person, it passes through a water, waterless place seeking rest. And finding none, it says, I will return to my house which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house swept and put in order. Then it goes and brings back seven other spirits, more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. And I said that Jesus was sharing this story because a Jewish exorcist was saying he was able to, to cast demons out of people who were possessed. But the difference between him casting them out, there was nothing going into that void. Those people who had demons cast out maybe rejected the word of God, rejected the kingdom of God, and that void was still there. And it said if that void was still there and it was not filled with Jesus Christ, then the demons would come back seven times stronger and that person was going to be worse off than before. So when Jesus chases those demons out, that void has to be filled with Jesus Christ or they're going to come back. You know, I hate to compare weight loss to demons leaving you. But if you, if you fight with weight loss, it is kind of a demon. I, I fight weight all my life. And I can lose weight pretty easy. Snap on my fingers, I can probably knock 10, 15 pounds out in a couple weeks fast, work out really crazy. But the problem is, I don't change. I don't change my habits. And once I get out of that, that two or three week hitting it hard, that weight comes back just as fast and usually more than what I lost. 
because I didn't change. I didn't change my habits. And it's the same thing here. The demons can come out, but if we don't change and have Jesus Christ within us, they're going to come back even harder. Next, we want to look at is the third part. Those who don't know Jesus have a fear of God, but those who know Jesus are transformed. When the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country. Then people went out to see what had happened, and they came back to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting, and I love this part, at the feet of Jesus, clothed, and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. Then all the people of the surrounding country of Gerasenes asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. So he got into the boat, and he returned. I'm going to talk about the transformed man first. Jesus transformed this man's life. We see it in verse 35, and just picture this. The man was a crazy, demented man who broke bonds and chains. And, he, and he's not clothed. And here, he's sitting calmly at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind. He was in his right mind. You can draw a lot of parallels between the demon-possessed mind and a life that's controlled by sin. That man had no control over his body or over what he thought or over what he did because he was possessed by demons. When you're controlled by sin, you're controlled by sin. You have no control over your body, over your thoughts, because you're controlled by sin. So they run very parallel to each other. This man experienced a transformed life. We don't know what Jesus was saying to him when he was sitting at Jesus. But we can imagine that Jesus was sharing who he was and what he was here on earth to do, that he is going to die for this man's sin. You know, Captain America was transformed physically. This man was transformed physically, but also spiritually. I want to share a couple people that's been transformed, that, I, that, that if God can transform them, he can transform anyone. The first person I'm going to share, I'm not sure how many of you ever heard of the power team, but the power team uh, is a bunch of really big, strong guys. And they came to this church for a week. We had a revival, and this is actually about 20 years ago. And the only reason I remember that, we set up for them up front, and a bunch of us went down in the gym and watched Ohio State beat Illinois in the year that they won the national championship. So it was 2001. And my wife goes, how can you remember that but forget our anniversary? I don't know. I don't know. But we're down there, we're getting set up, we're done setting up, and these guys come in there, there's about maybe five or six of them, and these guys have muscles. And they do these feats of strength. They take a phone book, and they tear the phone book in half. They take these metal irons, and I, I handled them, so I know they're heavy, and I know they're solid. And he takes them, and they bend them. They took concrete blocks, and they stacked like three or four of them, and they took their elbows and slammed them down and cracked those concrete blocks in half. It was an amazing feat. And imagine this, and I wish this was like this every Sunday. There wasn't an empty seat in this church. There wasn't an empty space in this church. Every pew was filled. We had kids sitting down front. Both wings were opened up. We had standing room only back there. 
We broke every fire code Piqua had to come and see these men perform feats of strength and also at the same time sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And one of them I remember coming out, he was about six foot five, he was bald, kind of scary looking. He comes out the night that he was sharing his testimony and he's chained and shackled. He has chains on his arms and he's got his legs shackled and he's wearing an orange jumpsuit. And he had shared how when he was in high school, he was a young man, that he hated everybody. And everything that happened bad to him, he blamed somebody else. And then when he got to be an adult, he got into in with the wrong crowd. They robbed, I'm not sure if he robbed banks or convenience stores, but he, he was a robber. And when one of the robberies, he killed a man in cold blood. And he was caught, he was convicted, and he was sent to prison. In prison, he says, I had no hope. He said, I hated people still. I blamed everybody for my problem. And then he said he got involved with the church ministry. And through the gospel of Jesus Christ, he found out that his sin, even his sin of killing a man and living the life that he had been living, too much for him to come to know Jesus Christ as the Lord. And this man who was a convict was up front now preaching to, preaching to hundreds in our church, but thousands and thousands, not only just in the United States, but all across the world, sharing the life-saving message of Jesus Christ. That is a transformed man. Then we look in the Bible, see another major transformation. There was a man named Saul, whose main goal was to hunt Christians. That's what he did for a living. He hunted Christians. When Stephen, the first Christian martyr, was killed and stoned to death, Acts 8.1 says, and Saul was there giving approval to his death. Then in Acts 8.3, it says, but Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Saul would later meet Jesus. Jesus would forgive him of his sins. And Saul would go on to become Paul, one of the greatest teachers, the greatest preachers, the greatest missionary in the history of the Bible. He was a transformed man. He was trans transformed only through the blood of Jesus Christ. No sin is too great for Jesus. If he can save Paul, if he can save that power team guy, he can save anyone. As we sang in the song this morning, the blood, blood of Christ can wash away any sin. If we don't think we can, if we think we're sitting there in a pew and we, our sin's too great for Jesus, we're diminishing the power of Jesus Christ. And if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, why wait? We don't know what this world's going to hold for us tomorrow. Answer that call. Answer that knock at your door. Jesus wants you. He wants you to be in his family. Don't hesitate anymore. As Jamie always preaches every Sunday, he says, find someone who looks like he's a regular here and go up to them and ask him, how do I get to know this? But don't hesitate. Next, we're going to look at the townspeople. The townspeople were afraid. It's kind of an odd thought. They were content to have this raving lunatic living outside of town. But when they saw this man who was clean and who was healed and clothed 
and going to be a contributing member of society. They were freaking out. They were afraid. And I just don't get it. They're kind of like the Pharisees. The Pharisees, Jesus would heal people from their lameness. He would heal them from the blindness. But the Pharisees, all they could see if he did it on the Sabbath, they were upset that Jesus broke one of the laws. Now, some of these laws were stuff that they were adding to it. And he broke their laws. And that's what upset them. When they should have been happy for these people being able to walk and being able to see, they were upset that Jesus did this on the Sabbath. I think of the man in, in John chapter 9 who was blind from birth. And Jesus healed him. And he could see for the very first time, he could see the sun, he could see the trees, he could see his mom and dad. But yet the leaders, the Pharisees, all they could do was interrogate him. Who is this Jesus? Why did he come to you? And, and, and what did not feel a bit of happiness or joy for this man who for the first time in his life could see. They even brought his parents in and interrogated his parents, and his parents kind of backed down because they didn't want to be kicked out of the synagogue. But they had no joy, and that's the way these people were. They should have been joyful for this man. He's going to be able to go back and live with his family. But all they could feel, feel was fear. <laughs> he just laughed. The last time they saw him, he was a raving lunatic. Now he was dressed and in his right mind. So why were they afraid? What prevented them from seeing the true message of Jesus Christ? Well, one was economic fear. Someone owned those 2,000 pigs. I can tell you, pigs aren't cheap. And they ran off the cliff and all were killed. So someone experienced an economic loss. So they were probably fearful of that. Jesus brought change. People don't like change. I'm not a big change person. He brought change. Even though it was a positive change, he brought change. And they were afraid of that. And lastly, Jesus was powerful. If he could heal this man from being a demon-possessed man, what else could he do? And they were afraid of that. So they had the chance to come to Jesus, to have a repentant heart. And they missed the point. They missed the message. You know, I think we talk about a repentant heart and an unrepentant heart. In Bible school, um, we had the, the, the youth, the fifth, sixth grade, and seventh grade back there with us, and oh, it was on the lesson that Judas kissed Jesus to, to show the Roman soldiers who he was. And I just brought it up. I said, you guys, do you think Judas got saved? Because the Bible tells us that Judas was remorseful. He felt sad for what he did to Jesus. He was remorseful. And he gave the 30 coins back to the leaders. And he was so remorseful that drove him so crazy, he hung himself. So we asked that question. And we had a little bit of a discussion. My opinion, absolutely not. He had remorse in his heart, but he didn't have a repentant heart. There's a difference. Remorse is a sadness. It's a feeling. And sometimes we do stuff and we feel remorseful what we have. But remorse does not equal repentance. You've got to have a repentant heart. You've got to have a heart that you want to change. And from what I see from Judas, we didn't see that. I don't think he recognized Jesus for who he was, that he was the son of the most high God. The demons knew that, but Judas didn't. I think, and I think this would have been an awesome picture, if Judas would have realized that, and instead of going hanging himself, fell at the foot of Jesus at the cross, 
I just said, Jesus, forgive me for what I've done. I did not know what I was doing. And I guarantee you, Jesus would, would say, just like he did the robber next to him, I'll see you in paradise. Because no sin is too great for Jesus Christ. Even to a person like Judas, who turned him over to the Roman soldier. Lastly, we want to look at verses 38 to 39. Jesus commands us to share what Jesus has done for us. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away saying, return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. In this passage, Jesus had been requested to do three things. The demons asked him to go into the herd of pigs. The people of the region was afraid of Jesus and asked him to leave. And the demon-possessed man asked, him, asked to go with Jesus after he was healed. Jesus granted the first two requests to the demons and the unbelievers. But he denied the man's request to go with him. Now normally, Jesus didn't want people, after he did a miracle, he didn't want people to go spread that miracle because he didn't want that to affect his ministry. He didn't want it to affect what was going to happen. It had to all go, go through and he had to carry out his ministry. And if he did it in the Jewish towns, that would probably affect his ministry. But here, as I mentioned earlier, we're in a Gentile territory. So Jesus is going to go back over to the Jewish towns. He's in a Gentile territory. So right now, it's not going to affect his ministry. Actually, he's laying the groundwork for all his disciples, for Paul and all those people that's going to go out and preach to the countries, the different countries than what Jesus preached to. So he's laying that groundwork. He's planting that seed. So when they go out and they start preaching about the resurrected Lord and Savior, they're going, oh, we know of him. He healed that demon-possessed man that lived in the tombs. They'd have that reference. But I think the neatest part about this passage, Jesus told the man to go tell everybody in the whole town. He wanted him to share what he had done for that man. And I like to say, it says whole town. When I looked at the NIV, it said all. Not just his family, not just his friends, but all. Tell the whole town. You know, that's what Jesus wants us to do. As I said earlier, when sin controls us, and then we accept that, we understand that, we repent, we come to Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, and we're saved, we're just like that demon-possessed man. We need to go out and share the gospel with as many people as we can. I'm not just preaching to you today. I'm preaching to myself. I struggle with that for a lot of reasons. I don't want to create rifts with my family or friends. But you know what? There's going to be a huge rift if we don't share that gospel with them. And they don't understand it. So my challenge to you this week is to go out and share your testimony, your story. You might not have gone to jail for killing somebody, but every one of you have an amazing, powerful story how Jesus Christ saved you from the, the life you, you would have lived without him. So tell someone that doesn't know Jesus so they too can experience the transforming power of Jesus Christ.
Let us pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, I just thank you for this passage. I thank you for what you did to this man. You transformed this man. You gave this man his life back. But more importantly than that, you gave him eternal life. Lord, we thank you for that because that's the same thing you do for us. And we'll foreverly be indebted to you. Lord, if anyone doesn't know you as your Lord and Savior, I pray that today they, they heard your words and that comes knocking at their hearts and they make that decision, the greatest decision that they could possibly make in their life, a decision that will last for eternity, that they come to you and say, Jesus, I repent of my sins. I want you to be in my heart. Lord, be with us this week. Show us someone we can go to and, and go witness to. And Lord, when you show us that person, give us the strength. Give us the words to say so we can help them be transformed like you transformed us. In your holy name we pray.